Hi, everybody, and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm James. I'm Justin. And I'm Corinne. And for this, our topic episode about witches, we are going to be discussing Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers. And Banjo-Kazooie by Rare. All right, so we've got a solid batch of of witchy media here. Uh, As always, this is going to be a spoiler-filled podcast, so if you don't want spoilers for Howl's Moving Castle, The Witch, or Banjo-Kazooie, now would be the time to bounce out, so we're going to do a quick setup for our next series of things. We're going to be doing Fairy Tales 2.0. We're going to be starting with The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. We're going to be watching Shrek 1 and 2, and we're going to be playing The Wolf Among Us. So if you're not interested in spoilers for our current topic, that's what's going to be coming up next. And you are welcome to bounce out now and come back when you are looking for spoilers. But for now, that, that has been the warning, so we are, we are good to go. All right. All right. So, what had the best witch? All right. So, what do we mean by best? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, these have really good examples of different ideas of witches. So, it seems like it's seems like it's kind of hard to to compare. I would say my favorite sort of portrayal of a witch would probably be Sophie's kind of kind of witch in Howl's Moving Castle. Just because it was so like playful and, and different from, I guess, common conceptions of a witch. One based on baby murdering, the other based on cauldron magic. Yeah, it was it was cool to have something that I I, I really do wish that uh, that Cleo were were here for this episode and not still trapped in her her boy band venture because I, I think that she would have been able to to lend a bit more context to what I'm about to say. But my understanding is that Sophie's kind of witchcraft is in many ways a bit closer to what, you know, a lot of people sort of have called witchcraft in real life, kind of something a bit more of that, more benevolent, more healing and helpful, more um, kind of finding that kind of magic in sort of everyday things. Uh, again, I, I really wish Cleo were here to give it more context to that and call me out if I'm just wrong, but from my limited understanding that's that's closer to the way that 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 kind of magic is sort of seen or thought of amongst those communities in the actual world you know it's a real shame that we didn't watch all seven seasons of charmed for our watch it really is i'm i mean i'm not surprised you picked sophie but i'm surprised you picked sophie because listen you resonated with gruntilda more than anybody <laughs> i just i just like gruntilda as a tragic character but if we're talking about witchcraft, her style of magic was was sort of like the standard cartoony style of magic. And it's, I think Sophie's had more depth and nuance. I, I mean, I will say, coming at it from that angle, I'm inclined to agree with Corinne. Um, but that was probably my favorite, one of my favorite things about how the magic worked in Howl's, was that Sophie had this magic that she sort of like crafted into things. I, I think that I'm also going to pick Howl's, but I'm going to pick the Witch of the Waste, uh over Sophie largely because I I think that Jones does a really interesting job with taking a lot of sort of the big kind of hallmarks um kind of the the traditional ideas of sort of witches in fiction 
and and put sort of an interesting spin on them with the Witch of the Waste. Uh, she's a very mysterious character throughout a lot of it. We have that sense of this witch out in the wilderness, um, that sort of weird tying to nature. Like, we never get a great sense of what the wastes are, but that that notion of sort of hiding out in nature, this sort of a deal with the demon idea that it's, you know, part of, like, keeping her young and that sort of notion of witches being sort of somehow it tied up with this desire to be more beautiful has been something that's, I think you see sort of like a weird trend in relatively modern things. You see it with like Grunhilda. It comes up in stuff like Hocus Pocus, etc. Um, yeah. There's a lot of oh, good-ass witch movies. Um, I'm sorry that we built this topic around the one I wanted to talk about. That's all right. I mean, it, it. I feel like the reality is really just that we could have built a whole topic around the portrayal of witches in film, you know, and been able to talk about it for years, you know, with a new thing every couple of weeks. Um but yeah, so I, I think that she takes a lot of those sort of tropes that have sort of built around this this notion of witches in fiction and still manages to – the, the sheer number of tropes that she manages to pull into that character while still turning the character and all many of those tropes on their head, uh, I, I thought was really cool and I, I really enjoyed. Um, so I, I feel like that's – I think she'd be my favorite. Thinking about it, there are a ton of similarities in how uh, the witches were portrayed in The Witch and like Thomason's like packed with Satan and his promises of like of like pleasures and youth and Butter. power and the Witch of the Wastes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Witch of the Wastes in in an interesting way was all of those promises from the pact realized. Absolutely. And doubly so uh, because the Witch of the Waste has made that deal, right? That whole notion that she and Howell derive much of their strength from a deal with a demon, right? Like a, a literal pact made with a fire demon. And I mean, hell, even then, a fire demon, no less. And that's where this level of power comes from uh, on top of something that is and, – and again, I think this part that I, I like a lot, it's – it's that deal with the demon, but on top of something that is internal, on top of something that is very natural. You know, that you have this natural inclination towards magic, and magic just exists in nature, but then you can make this pact and become stronger still. It, it's a, I think it's a really clever way of pulling that in. And then there were the similarities between Howl's Movie Castle and Grunhilda's magic, which, like, we got bits and pieces of that, but, like, Grunhilda and her sister, they went to witch school. Like, yep. they, they studied to, to be witches, and you saw the same thing in uh, in House Movie Castle, where these you know witches and wizards and sorcerers and you know whatever you want to call it, they had apprenticeships with other magical like with other magic users and learned a trade. Yeah, I mean, I think even in Banjo Kazooie, uh, like we we learned that that Mumbo was like Gruntilda's teacher for a while. Like there really is that like. That sort of weird structure that gets added on top of, again, on top of like the very sort of Halloween witch that that you get there. So I, I think that there's a lot of really interesting conversations to ha have about the similarities between Howl's Moving Castle and the witch and Howl's Moving Castle and Banjo-Kazooie, even more so than what we've touched on already. Um, but the big thing that I, I really want to talk about first is can we draw connections between the witch and Banjo-Kazooie? Because I... I I feel like the big thing for me that pulls the, everything to Howl's Moving Castle is the idea that I think Dan Owen Jones is playing a lot with tropes. 
that both the witch and Banjo-Kazooie pull from separately. But is there any point at which we can identify this evolution from the actual kind of shadow in the forest, this sort of like boogeyman notion of a witch that we get from Puritan times that gets drawn into the green skin, pointy hat, Halloween costume witch that we have today? Sure. I mean, there's the whole idea that uh, witches are out there to steal youth and beauty from the young, uh, which is, which is not witches, which is a sort of a, a prevalent trope throughout all of these pieces of media. And I think, Justin, we didn't get a chance to talk about the, the, the cutscene you see if you lose Banjo-Kazooie, so it might be a good time to... Oh, yeah. In Banjo-Kazooie, when you get a game over screen, which happens if you save and quit, is the weirdest thing in the world, you see Gruntilda literally, you know, steal the youth from Tootie and turn her into this hulking monster and, you know, walk away as a as an empowered, you know, stereotypically beautiful witch. Uh, audio listeners, I, I think the microphone may have picked up Corinne's eye roll there. Um, but just, just in case it, it doesn't make it through the edit, uh, it certainly came through loud and clear on my end. <laughs> Empowered was an interesting word choice, Justin. Well, I meant literally. Oh, okay. Like, it infused with power. Infused yes. with power. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I roll retracted, I guess. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, I didn't. Not to brag, but I, I didn't get any game over screens this time I, I played the game. But I, I got plenty when I was a kid, and yeah, that freaked me out. I didn't like that. <laughs> I pointed out to Corinne that uh, the first time I played, I played through the first world and got the first like jiggy in uh, Gruntold's Letter. And then I was like, okay, I'm done for now. I'm going to save and quit. And then I'm going to go back and play it later. Because I was using an emulator, but I didn't. Uh, I wasn't using state saves. So I like, okay, I'll just play it normally. And I saved and quit. And then it shows me the game over stream. You save and quit, you go, and it, it happens. And then you get a game over, and then it takes you back to the title screen. And I was like, that is kind of the weirdest thing. And as I was talking through it with Corinne, I thought exactly that thing, where I was like, I wonder if they worried that the game was easy enough. Even though its puzzles were difficult and all that, it was easy enough not to get an actual game over. That if they didn't put that there, there would be lots and lots of people who never actually saw the game over cutscene. And so that's why they did it. Yeah. That's weird. That was, it's a weird notion. Yeah. Uh, so listeners should note that Justin is not actually bad at video games. Oh, I mean, I'm still <laughs> bad at a lot of video games. I'll cop. I remember being a kid and like when I was like going to die, I would just turn off the console because I didn't want it because that cutscene really freaked me out. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I mean, 2 comes out like pretty terrifying. I want to watch it now. I, I actually, I haven't seen it because the person I was watching is so good at Banjo-Kazooie, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so I I thought this was really interesting because, frankly, going into this, I didn't think we were going to have a lot of overlap. I thought that we were pretty explicitly picking three pieces of media that had these very different portrayals of witches, and it would be much more we, – we would be discussing much more contrast than comparisons, right? You know, I I was very much expecting to have this, like – kind of gritty, so to speak, but like very scary sort of 
Puritan notion of a witch. I was expecting to have this sort of fantastical notion of a witch that split again between, you know, Sophie, the good witch and the witch of the waste, the bad witch. Um, and then again, as, as I've been saying, kind of our goofy Halloween style, witch who is, you know, ha- has all of like the trappings of being frightening, but it is not actually scary, you know, in the way that you can buy a Halloween costume and we can identify, ah, yes, that's a, that's a scary thing because it's Halloween, but not in a way that will actually cause children to run in fear. Right. You know, someone who at the end of the day is is played for laughs and hosts a game show. But I Yeah, not like that guy who dressed up like a scarecrow and sat on his porch and scared the shit out of me when Halloween when I was like four. Oh, I hate stuff like that. Oh my god. So um I I was surprised. I, I've gotta say. Uh, as someone it had been a long time since I'd played Banjo kazooie it had been a long time since I'd read Howl's Moving Castle, and I had not seen the witch before going into it. I was not expecting to find this much common ground. Yeah, I would definitely with you on that. When we, when we picked these things, I was like, cool, we're going to get three very distinct ideas. And these things are going to be hard to compare. The topic of the episode is going to be weird and fun. And instead we can draw a surprising amount of lines between these three things. So I, I think that one thing that's really interesting for me that we had touched on earlier is I think that Diana Wynne Jones is very intentionally pulling from these these tropes and notions and i think that that's why howl's moving castle has the most has the most ties to the other two things and why well certainly not impossible i the the ties directly from banjo kazooie to the witch and vice versa are i i I think that 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 ties a bit thinner right like we we can we get some back and forth but it's not quite as strong as towards howl's moving castle and i think that one thing that's really interesting about that I guess that sort of progression is this notion that like witches have kind of just become less frightening over time and that, you know, sort of you would put, even though the witch was made was the most recent thing that we, that we had, it's setting is the earliest. I guess I'm imagining Banjo-Kazooie to be set in 1998, but I mean, it's confirmed. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Bikini. Yeah, exactly. So there we go. Thanks bikini lady. So we we have that, and there's really this notion of witches becoming less frightening over time that I think sort of reveals itself through these these three things. And going from, like, this actual terror in the forest to being almost more... I mean, the Witch of the Waste, like, she lives out in the waste, but she feels almost metropolitan in a few scenes, you know? it, And then just sort of shifting almost to this, like, object of derision, this sort of, like, comic relief villain at the end. I... I don't know. I was curious what everyone thought about that, like, general arc. It would be really interesting if we had, in fact, watched Hocus Pocus. Yes, that's true. Because those witches are directly confronted with that arc. <laughs> which is great. I mean, I I think that overall it makes some sense, right? Just, like, as kind of, like, society progresses, right? And I think it's very apparent from the witch that a lot of the... That original fear of witches comes from... A lot of superstition, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of just sort of fear of the unknown, fear of the other. And as as that sort of chips away, and I guess, you know, as we kind of touched on in our brief discussion of the Blair Witch Project, part of what makes the Blair Witch Project frightening is this notion of going back to a time when the forest is just, you know, the unknown and things that you don't understand are happening there that we as the viewers attribute to the witch because that's the name of the movie. 
And if it's just something like that, and it really does come down to that, like it's very hard to get lost in America these days. As as we do that, those figures that used to scare us about the woods and the unknown and these superstitions and misunderstandings start to feel sillier and sillier. Like if it, it, I mean, do you think that this overall is sort of a, I don't know, a, an illustration of kind of that notion of like, you know, you, you grow older and suddenly the, the washing machine in your basement, like you, you start feeling, you know, it, it, you start thinking about how silly it was that you were scared of that, you know, and that's a bad example. Washing machines in basements are objectively terrifying. They make rumbly noises. You have to turn the lights off before you go up the stairs. It's bad news. But it, that kind of thing where just like you, you realize that that thing that used to be scary to you just because you didn't understand it now seems so mundane. You kind of laugh at yourself for for being scared of it in the first place. Maybe. It, it kind of makes me interested to, to wonder when the first like modern portrayal of like the, the green-skinned witch with the pointy hat and the black robes on a broomstick. Like, it makes me wonder where that sort of, like, modern caricature comes from. I think it's Oz. Yeah? I mean, we're talking, like, the book was, like, the the 20s or, or 30s, and the movie was, I think, the, the late 30s, or was the movie, like, the 50s? I... Uh, the Wizard of Oz, the film, was released in 1939. Okay, yeah. I think the book was early 30s or late 20s or so? No. May 17th, 1900. Wow, that was older than I thought. I was willing to go as far down as, like, you know, the like 1910s, but damn. So, we have the book from 1900. And, but I, I would argue that, I don't know if... I mean, I did read the book when I was a kid, but I don't know if it ever explicitly describes the Wicked Witch as being green-skinned with the pointy nose and the black robe and all that. I, I feel like it probably does, but I don't know that I'd say that notion was popularized in American media until uh, the film. It feels like it either has to be in the book or in the public consciousness because like, they were real set on making uh, the, the actors of the Wicked Witch uh, green. Like, to the point where, like, the, the makeup made her sick. Yeah, then it was... Very badly was, sick. So, like, they were real dead set on making her green. So it was probably definitely in the book. Yeah, I, I can certainly say that's the earliest point at which I can, can pull. Um, but yeah, I, I'm certainly not sure. But I feel like what's interesting, though, is that... So let's, let's operate on that. We'll say that we... Our, to our best understanding, this seems to be, if not the origin of that image, it certainly seems to be, I, I think it would be impossible to say that it didn't raise the profile, right? Like where, yeah. or at least cement that as very much the norm, if, if it wasn't already. So you look at something like that, and so you say you've got the Wicked Witch of the West, who is an interesting middle ground, because she's still a frightening character, right? You know, she is... You know, she has what we now think of as that, again, almost Halloween kind of look. But, you know, we don't really have a sympathetic read of her until Wicked. And you know, even then, you know, it, it, arguably it takes until the, the musical adaptation of that for that to really start taking off. And it's she's she's still a frightening character. Yeah, I mean, it was the, sort of the popularized notion of that, a witch that looks and acts this specific way. But 
it hadn't yet become a, a caricature, right? It was maybe starting to be something. It was definitely something that I, I think, you know, the people of that time period weren't actively afraid of witches as a thing. But the idea of an actual witch, like they weren't afraid that they existed and were real, but the idea that they could be was still terrifying, conceptually. Or, or at least could be leveraged as such. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because, it, again, it, the Wicked Witch of the West really feels, at, of all of the witches that we've had, even though she most resembles Grunthilda, and she is villainous, I suppose, in the notion of you know, the witch from the witch, I, she certainly most resembles to me the Witch of the Waste. And yeah, so I guess she does fall very much in that middle ground of, you know, still frightening, but not this elemental fear of the unknown in the forest kind of notion, more just a, uh, I don't know, a malicious figure. Yeah, because she's like scary and well-known, right? Like the idea of which is yeah, she, was so terrifying before is that, that, you know, that fear of the unknown more than anything else as we've gone over yeah, whereas, I mean, the Wicked Witch of the West, she has her castle, she has flying monkeys, they're kind of seen all around, people see her and recognize her, and are made uncomfortable by her, but when she when she appears in, in Munchkinland at the beginning, right, it, you know, everyone is made uncomfortable, and they were certainly being terrorized by the Witch of the East, but it almost feels like, in the way that, like, I don't know, like a steel baron might, you know, quote-unquote, terrorize a mining town, <laughs> right? Like, like, it seems like she was just, like, a terrible landlord. Like, we don't necessarily get the sense that the Witch of the East was, like, scooping up munchkins and eating them or things like that. She just seemed to be, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I guess this fits with the original, with the, you know, the dates for these things. But so we've got the book in 1900. We've got the film in 1939. I don't know. Like, it, she it, she seems like just a awful mare. Like, I don't, like potter from it's a wonderful <laughs> life or something yeah i mean i think that's it's it's funny on the face of it but i think it's a very good reading right i mean yeah i mean and, and to be fair we don't get a lot of that context from the film which i like you just and i i read the wonderful wizard of oz when when i was a kid but it's it's the film that sticks with me right so i don't i don't necessarily know that i mean for all i know she was scooping up and, and eating munchkin children but it's not really the reaction we get from the people of munchkin land <laughs> Yeah, there's no, finally our children are safe. It's it's like, finally our landlord's off our back. Yeah, like they're happy she's dead. They, you know, they sing a whole song about it, whatever. But then like, you know, the Witch of the West, and like you know, everyone sort of like is all in hiding, but it's unclear if that's because the witch was around or if it's because a house got dropped. So yeah, I, I feel like once again, you know, in something like that, we see that shift towards a very metropolitan kind <laughs> of, kind of witch. So it seems that witches taken out of the woods lose their teeth. I would say so. I mean, they can still inspire fear, but maybe not terror in in the way that they used to. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, you didn't, you know, if you take the Witch of the Waste as an example, like, people were definitely afraid of her. But I wouldn't say anybody reacted to her or her presence in abject terror. Yeah. Yeah, like, Sophie is afraid when she realizes who she's talking to at the beginning, but it's not... It's not quite the same. Right, she doesn't run and hide, or she doesn't, like, it's not like she tries to escape, or, or like, anything. She's like, oh, this is gonna be... She tries to speak carefully to not offend her. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know people avoid the wastes, and you know people avoid going out, you know, too far from market shipping because howls about, but not really even, you know, not so much that people don't. You know, Sophie encounters other travelers as she's wandering around. It's more this notion that, you know, oh, it's dangerous to be out alone after dark because you know wizard howl might steal your heart. It's 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 almost there, but it's not quite the same. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that that touches more on the scariness of, of like, original quote-unquote witches um, than anything that the Witch of the Waste does, right? Like, the Witch of the Waste is, like, uh, you know, steer clear, avoid her, and, like, don't go near her house because she'll do, she'll do bad things to you, probably. Whereas Hal is, like, don't go out at night, uh, right? Which is just, like, a, he was a lot closer to the stay away from the woods. Um, yeah especially at night, like, idea than it does, like, stay away from the wastes because we know for a fact she lives there and her house is the only thing there and she casts bad magics and it's happened and we've seen it. But the fear with Hal is still, he preys on youth and beauty. Right. Which is the, which is the common thing that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I I think it really is another indicator of just how, how clever Jones is with, with the tropes that she's playing with. Yeah, by flipping that sort of dynamic uh, on its head. Yeah, yeah, but still embracing it. You know, she she really does does do a good job with it. So one thing one thing that I do wonder a lot uh, when it comes to kind of this notion of witches leaving the woods and losing their teeth, etc. Um, I think really comes from the stuff that we see in you know to to reference something that we that we actually you know dealt with over the past couple months as opposed to, you know, the Wizard of Oz that we just sort of pulled in. But at the other hand, you know, how can you not? We we see a lot of the things that make the witch in the witch frightening. You know, it's this notion, again, of, you know, sort of the fear of nature, fear of the unknown. You know, it we can go back and talk about, you know, the witch trials. We can talk about some of the stuff that we, you know, we do know about that time period. A lot of it is, you know, just like scapegoating. A lot of it is tied up with kind of this fear of, satan this fear of just a a notion of pure evil that that exists in the world um i i mean dramatic misunderstandings of biology uh <laughs> i i mean like we didn't touch on a lot but you know, it was a long time not necessarily up up to this point but there are long stretches of history where people didn't super understand where babies came from um and that, like, kind of lent this weird notion of mysticism to women as just being able to produce babies. Also, sex is a fun thing that has nothing to do with that. A lot of weird notions get tied up in that and build into these, you know, horrible misconceptions and misunderstandings and finger pointings and these things that really define periods in history. And it makes me wonder if a lot of that really does come from just as we shine more and more lights on those unknown parts, this notion of a... I don't know, like a, a a person who is just off doing evil magics because she I don't know, committed herself to Satan because she wanted you. Just like it, that, I, that notion gets more and more ridiculous, and you know, as we see it, is more and more just kind of backwards and sexist and wrong, and just built on false premises. Maybe that's where a lot of it comes from. And I think also you've got the you know again with the Wizard of Oz, but like you see sort of like these incremental steps towards uh, 
changing our, or presenting something new to the idea of a witch with the Wizard of Oz, for example. And then that becoming such a pervasive, powerful, like, cultural touchstone, that shorthand for witch became green skin, black hat, black dress. You know, it's, I think it's, I think it's the, the, the both things sort of happening where, you know, we, we gain more understanding and we say, okay, we're going to revisit this old idea and present something new. And then when that something new is popular, we, you know, we reference it through shorthands that then become caricatures. So I think we can pretty easily see, like, the, the chain of cause and effect that has led to, led from, you know, the witch to Gratilda, uh, without necessarily being able to trace all of the steps that happened along the way. All right, so I guess I'll ask the thing that we always talk about. Uh, How's Moving Castle? <laughs> yeah, just I, I hands down, right? Yeah, the, <laughs> like, there's no, so which world would you want to live in? How's Moving Castle? I certainly don't want to live in puritanical America on the yeah. edge of, a, of, of the woods uh, you know, nope. with Satan around. Yeah. That sounds bad. Sounds yeah. pretty awful. Bad news. Uh, and Banjo-Kazooie, I mean, zany antics, I suppose, but... Not a lot of substance there Mm-mm. in terms of, like, world building. Yeah. Interesting set pieces, but not, like, not a lot of... Nothing I can say, oh, yeah, I want to live in that world because... And, I mean, what does living in that world mean? Does it mean you spend your time hopping around between a bunch of weird, singular locations? Or does it mean you just live in the woods lot of like from what we saw, I think it, it means a lot of, like, kicking back with your friends and, like, drinking alcohol. So I guess maybe, like, well, you want to have a bad. constant like, party, kick, like, kick like with your friends, Drink a bunch and, like, maybe cast some magic once in a while. And hope that your siblings don't get abducted by local witches. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it would be house for me, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's no... There, there's really, like... I feel like we always try to argue for one or the other at times. There just isn't any... In this one, it's just, now we're going to live in the world of house. Like, that's just... Yeah. I mean, okay, so... For the sake of conversation, what's... Like, what's the biggest case we could build against living in that world, right? You've... Maybe you have no talent for magic. Regular-ass person. You know, you're just working at the bakery or something like that. Uh, well, then you're just, like, a quasi-medieval peasant. Yeah, except there are witches and wizards around and their whims kind of are swaying everything like i i feel like i'm trying to make like the worst case for this just you know for for the sake of it is a world on the cusp of war but again whose world isn't on the cusp of war these days i mean i'm I'm banjo kazooie there's probably no war coming to that's true to whatever land it is that they live in real talk the beginning of banjo tooie is dark as shit all right well we're just (laughs) fucked i guess like i mean it spoilers for banjo tooie very briefly but like bottles dies in like the first few minutes yeah oh yeah i've I've never played banjo tooie oh man no it's like honestly it's weird and dark wow um i don't i think you see his ghost or something i don't remember uh but at some point like they like the king of the jinjos gets like turned into like a zombie it's a weird game it's it's very odd. So, I mean, I guess as it turns out, Banjo-Kazooie is, like, you know, on the verge of war. It, <laughs> Grunty's friends are pretty hardcore, I, I guess, is the big thing. See, that's the thing. Like, the world of Banjo-Kazooie, as we know it, just from Banjo-Kazooie, pretty tame. I wouldn't mind being, like, an average person 
you know, hanging out with Banjo and, and Mumbo and Bottles and everybody. Uh, but knowing what potential there is for that world, I think I'd rather be an average Joe in, uh, in Howlsburg and Castle world. If it changes your opinion, uh, there is also a theme park in Banjo-Tooie called Gruntyland. Uh, yeah, now that does change my opinion. I'm back. <laughs> back on the Banjo-Kazooie train. I want to go to Gruntyland. Uh, I would say another point in favor of living in Howl's World is that we can just, if, if you know the right place to go, you can just walk into our actual world at any time. True. And, yeah. like, just play some video games. <laughs> yeah, that's so, fair. Check the internet. Check Facebook. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, I mean, it, even when I, even when you're trying, it's pretty hard to make too much of an active case against it. I mean, even being like a, because it's not like you know we do always like like a quasi medieval peasant, but it, it's quasi in in all the right ways. You know, you've got it, again, it seems fairly metropolitan. It you've got magic to kind of like help with stuff. Like it, it almost seems like it's yeah. I because one of the things about that world is that like magic isn't something that's just limited to witches. Like yeah, you can like buy a spell, right? Exactly, and so it's like if you have the money, you can you can also wield magic or or use it for for whatever you need it for. It's not like I would imagine a world like most worlds where there are like magic users and stuff. Where magic users are like, no, magic is ours, and that's it. Like imagine the world of Harry Potter, but instead of the wizarding world being secret, they just like sold all their magic to muggles. Like yeah, you could like buy a charm that made it so your ship like wouldn't sink and it would actually work i mean it just seems pretty great yeah there's really i like there aren't any serious like the most serious downside is the fact that there seems to be a war brewing yeah i i my favorite part about all this is that we can bring some knowledge of the future via banjo to we've not read the other the other howl books for all we know just everything goes to shit in the second one yeah that's that's true that, was, that war could stop brewing and start happening and ruin everything. Well, they yeah. did get their chief strategist back by the end, so... That's true. That's true. But we don't really, like, know what they're going to war about. Like, what if what if they're just terrible? That's true. Like, we don't know. Like, their war effort has been, like, reestablished, but they go and it turns out they're just, like, they're just the worst. Like, this is... Just they're they're just the anti pizza party, you know. Like they're going to war because like neighboring nations all have pizza, and they they're not all about that. It's a really weird comparison to draw. But the thing that popped into my mind was the Futurama episode uh, with the bouncing balls and the oh, ball yeah. planet, where it's just like, oh no, we gotta go to war. Oh, yeah, we gotta go fight these guys, and then they find out at the end that they're the conquerors. Yeah, and it's like I, I could imagine that being like the twist for us as readers. It's like we we have so much kind of love that we built for this world, and then we find out that they're so worried about going to war because they're planning on declaring yeah. war on this other country that they want to conquer, but without the right resources, they won't be able to do it. And it's like, oh well, yeah, okay, unbeknownst to us. So I, I feel like I feel like that's all pretty well settled then. Yeah, it's yeah. How's it is? Go hang out with Calcifer. Who wouldn't want to hang out with Calcifer? I I gotta say, I wish that I kind of wish that I hadn't listened to the audiobook just so I could have kept Billy Crystal's voice as the sole rendition of Calcifer right. in my consciousness. So it was it was a pretty good advantage of reading the book. Yeah, 
anyway. Um, so about witches again. Yeah. I mean, do we have, is there much else that we want to make sure we hit on? I, I actually don't think I have anything left. Kind of talked about magic. We kind of talked about uh, commonalities between how they're portrayed. We kind of talked about where we think the, the, the changes come from. Um, we trace the lineage of the fictional witch. Yeah. As, as, as best we could, I suppose, without being witch scholars. We'll find a witch scholar and confirm. But all right, then. Uh, so I, I think we're, I think it's about time to, to put a pointy hat on this, on this topic and call it done. Well, now that you've, now that you've gone there, I think, I think you're right. Cool. All right. Well, that's, that has been our, our annual spooky topic. And now we can get back to nice things. Um, once again, our next topic is going to be Fairy Tales 2.0. We are going to be reading The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. That doesn't sound very nice. Anyway, we're going to be watching Shreks 1 and 2, and we're going to be playing The Wolf Among Us, a Telltale game, uh, Season 1. I mean, at least the watch sounds nice out of those things. I can't really say that the play sounds nice either. But yeah, that's true. It's not spooky, though. Up to as far as I remember. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be coming up next. Uh, come back next episode where we will be talking about the Bloody Chamber. We're gonna find out how nice that is. Um, till then, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at RWP Podcast on Twitter and like us at Facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. God, you gotta stop saying which is. Ugh. Kill it.